Hello, everyone, and either welcome or welcome back to the Gender Libertarian Podcast. If you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. Okay, so quick explainer before we get into this. I know I said in the last episode that I will be going down to doing one podcast episode a week and doing the second podcast episode, not as a podcast episode, but as a Substack newsletter, which I do still plan on doing, obviously. And thank you to everybody who has subscribed. If you haven't yet, it's jenmonroe.substack.com. But there is a bit of a tradition here on this podcast of giving debates their own podcast episode discussing them. So this month, you might get a little bit of bonus content. You might still get to a week because we did just have our first presidential debate, as I'm sure everybody is aware by now. Um, Next week, we will have the vice presidential debate. And then the two weeks after that will be more presidential debates. So I'm going to try to keep up with the tradition of giving debates their own podcast episode. And yes, you will still be getting a Substack newsletter this week talking about things from a slightly different perspective. But just in case you were wondering why it is you have this extra episode in your feed right now, that's why for the sake of completeness, I started doing this for the Democratic primary debates. And so I want to carry it through to the end of the presidential debates. And then we will have a whole section of debate episodes that everybody can go back and listen to for posterity in the future. (laughs) So just just for the sake of completeness. So like I said, don't get used to the twice a week schedule. And obviously, if you haven't subscribed to the Substack, please go do that. Link will be down in the show notes. But obviously, this past Tuesday, um, we had our first presidential debate. And there is no polite way to say this. So I am just going to say it. That was an utter and complete shit show. That was nuts. Like, I did not have very high expectations for this debate. And like I said, I watched all of the Democratic primary debates. I'm pretty well jaded as to the general level of nonsense that I can tolerate while watching a primary debate or a general election debate. This completely, I was not expecting that. Like, I expected it to be bad. I didn't expect it to be that bad. Oh my God. Um, Yeah. So I'm sure by this point you've heard all about how things kind of went down. And in case you've not listened to any of my Democratic primary debates, the way I do these episodes is I kind of try to touch on the topics that were discussed in the debate. It's a little more difficult with this debate because nobody wanted to stay on topic for anything, but there were topics discussed and Chris Wallace, bless his heart, was the moderator and he did his best. But when you're dealing with one extremely uncooperative debater, (laughs) there's only so much you can do to try to keep things on track. So that's how I do that. And then at the end, I kind of give my general thoughts and pick winners and losers. (laughs) Again, going to be a little difficult with this one. (laughs) But yep, there was a debate and essentially... Trump kind of came out of the gate doing his Twitter shtick, basically being a Twitter troll in real life. And when when you when you agree to these debates, let me try to back up and explain this in case you're not aware, like these debates are formal debates, like the campaigns agree to a certain set of rules before entering the debate. And one of the rules is the way the way this was supposed to go down is Chris Wallace presents a topic and Trump has two minutes to speak. Biden has two minutes to speak. 
And then for the rest of the, I believe it actually ended up breaking down to like 10 minutes because they did it in like little 10 minute chunks for each topic. And so then the remainder of the 10 minutes was supposed to basically be them two debating the topic that was presented by the moderator. And that's not what happened. <laughs> that is absolutely not what happened. Um, Trump basically just decided to talk over Biden, to talk over Wallace, to answer whatever the hell question it was he felt like answering versus the one that was presented to him. But anyway, let's try to make it through some of the topics that were presented and some of the answers that were given. So started out the night, obviously on the Supreme Court situation and Amy Coney, Coney Barrett. Both men, obviously Trump arguing in favor of him being able to make this nomination and to have her confirmed before the election. Although, although on that point of before the election, it seemed to me the way Trump phrased his answer, he wasn't entirely committing to having this done before the election. It sounded to me like he was kind of leaving the door open. But that being said, him arguing that Obviously, he is president and he is president until the day he stops being president. And so, yeah, you have to continue the business of being president. You have to continue the business of being the Senate. You have to keep doing what you're supposed to be doing because that is the job that you have and you have it until you don't have it anymore. And then Biden arguing on the other end that, of course, uh, obviously, you bring up Merrick Garland because that's just that's a whole ball of hypocrisy right there. But bringing up the optics of the fact that if if things go according to plan. And I discussed this in the last episode of what the time frame is kind of supposed to be looking like. I still think it's entirely too optimistic. But even if we go with the extremely optimistic time plan, you're talking about holding a confirmation vote a week before a general election. And that just, it looks bad. Like it, it looks bad. And for everybody who wants to point out that, you know, it's his right to do it. Sure, it's his right to do it. But a big part of politics is optics. And it's important. And what people perceive your actions as is important. And he's right. I mean, this doesn't look good. It does not look good for the GOP. It looks like you're forcing through a nominee because you think you're not going to win. I mean, there, there's no way around that. And I am sympathetic to both sides of this argument. I mean, I, I still think that the vote should be held after Election Day. Just for the reasons of, first of all, just logistics. I mean, this should not be rushed through. It should not be appear to be rushed through, which it's going to have that appearance, even if it isn't because of the very compressed time frame we're talking about here. I mean, we'd be talking about going through a confirmation process faster than anybody has in almost modern history. Like it's it's going to not look all that great to the American people. But I also understand that it's it's Trump's prerogative to do this. And I understand that Mitch McConnell and Senate Republicans may not want to particularly play that game of chicken and they might want to ram it through and they might not care about optics, even though they should, because, I mean, this puts GOP senators in a bad spot, especially ones that are up for re-election. Like, it's just, it's not, it's not good timing. It's not good timing. It's not a good look, but there's nothing much that can be done about that. I mean, nobody controls when anybody dies. And I mean, Ginsburg passed away when she passed away. I mean, what, there's nothing you can do about that. So... I am sympathetic, like I said, to both arguments, but it's just, oh, yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, honestly, it's a tough one. And I, I, it's just my overall thought. And I, I, I said this in the last episode and I said this in my Rocket News piece that I did on this. It's just, just, 
there's no good options here for the GOP. There's just nothing that's going to look good. But one thing that did come out of this argument, and this was something that I wanted to highlight because Trump kind of lied a little bit, or at least demonstrated that he didn't understand exactly how confirming judges work. He made a point that when he became president, there were over a hundred federal federal judgeships still left to be opened for judges to be confirmed. And he tried to frame this as Obama and the Obama administration not doing their job. That's not what happened. Obama nominated judges. The Senate, which was at that point Republican held, refused to confirm any of them. So it's not that Obama didn't do what he was supposed to do. It's that he was being blocked from doing what he was supposed to do. So trying to pin that on the Obama administration and by extension, Joe Biden as being like, well, you guys left me all these open judgeships like you. What what were you doing? Well, it wasn't their fault. It was not their doing. So I wanted to make a point of pointing that out because it was it was one of those one of those little fibs that, like I said, I don't know if Trump knows better and is lying or misconstruing the situation, or if he just doesn't understand exactly what was going on in the last two years of the Obama administration, who knows with this dude. But anyway, moving on. Of course, we had a conversation about voting, because how can we not? And Trump is still, Trump is still on his bullshit, basically. (laughs) Um, He kind of escalated it a little bit by planting the seed of distrust, not only with mail-in voting, but in-person voting about how that can possibly be rigged or somehow messed with. And he made this comment about how he's sending in election monitors and that it's all very nice and it's fine. It's like, no, it's not very nice and fine. You can't send in election monitors, dude. That's not how this works. The whole point of the reason you go to the polling place and then you go in your little booth and you close the door is that nobody knows what you're doing in there. Like, that's the point. It's supposed to be secret. Like, you're not supposed to have to reveal who you voted for. You're not supposed to have somebody looking over your shoulder to make sure that you're not, like, doing something nefarious or doing anything at all. So, no, 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 no. You cannot send in election monitors. He also made it kind of sort of clear, at least to me, that he is expecting provided he loses, obviously, to take this fight all the way to the Supreme Court, which, again, I've I've already said that before. It's not surprising to me. I mean, he's basically all but said that before. And that's the whole reason why this whole Supreme Court nomination thing is so vitally important, because they want to have nine justices on the bench. If and when this does end up to the Supreme Court, you don't want to have eight justices because then you might get a split decision. You're not going to get a split decision. I mean, there, there's no way that's going to happen, but there's that. So anyway, still fear mongering over voting. And it's just this this idea of trying to place the, the seed of doubt in people's mind about the results of the upcoming election, which I'm not entirely sure how you pivot if he does win? I mean, you, you spent so much time calling into question the validity of these votes. What happens if he wins? Like, how, how are you going to be like, oh, nope, nope, it's fine. Everything I said before, that only applied to if I lost. But now that I won, like, I'm sure the process was great and fine and totally above board and we don't have to worry about anything. No, I mean, you've already planted that seed. And then just, it's, it's really, it's, more disturbing probably to other people, but 
it, it's not good to have the president of the United States saying, hey, we shouldn't trust this process and just assume that it's going to be rigged against me somehow. It's just not a very good look. But again, nothing that we haven't heard from the man before. And of course, Joe Biden is trying to reassure everybody that it's fine. Everything's going to be fine. And I'm I'm sure it will be fine. I mean, there's, there's nothing new here. So moving on to vaccines. Yes, the vaccine in the upcoming vaccine war. Um, Trump is still insisting that there is going to be a vaccine by the end of the year, possibly November, which, of course, brings up the the conversation of, is this politically motivated? And I believe Wallace actually brought this up in his question, which is that this whole idea of trying to rush through a vaccine and how it how it looks and how it looks politically motivated. And I mean, obviously, Joe Biden is still, you know, follow the science. We got to let them do what they're going to do. We got to we got to let the process work its way out. But Trump is still insisting that we're going to have this rushed vaccine. And Chris Wallace, bless his heart, he tried to make the obvious point in that if you have this rushed vaccine, that people aren't going to take it because people aren't going to trust it because people are going to think either that it is political or that there's something wrong with the vaccine or they're going to wait until other people take the vaccine and see what happens to them. That basically like rushing through this is not going to be super helpful to anybody who is interested in any kind of like practical way of making sure that we can have a handle on COVID so we can start like being normal people again. But no, nobody was having it. He tried though. Bless his heart, Wallace tried to make the point. And again, this is all very like, Trump heavy because Trump would not shut the fuck up. Like Wallace tried, Biden, bless his heart, he he did his best to not get steamrolled. I mean, and he he got in there, but there was a lot of crosstalk. Like it was just, oh my God. It's it's hard to follow at times because there's just so much everybody trying to talk over everybody, and so nobody's point is really getting heard. And it's just like, can everybody just shut up for a second and actually follow? the debate rules has laid out and let the other person talk and just, oh my God, it was, it was a mess. It was an absolute freaking embarrassment. Oh my God, this was just so embarrassing. So anyway, moving on to the suburbs. Um, Apparently, <laughs> Donald Trump is of the opinion that if Joe Biden becomes president, then the suburbs are going to be destroyed through yimbyism and it, it all goes back to an Obama-era plan of kind of deregulating suburban areas to allow more multifamily housing. And so Trump rolled back this particular plan. Biden has said that he would put it back in place. And <laughs> Trump is basically trying to frame this like, okay, if, if Biden becomes president, then we're just going to fill the suburbs with Section 8 housing, which is not going to happen because that's not how that's not how housing works. That's not how public assisted housing works. Like Jesus Christ, this is such a stupid argument. I can't I, I can't. No, the suburbs will still exist if Biden is the president. And you know, maybe it wouldn't be so bad if we allowed some more multifamily housing in suburbs, especially in places where they have extremely high housing prices. Maybe we can bring those down a little bit so people can actually have nice, decent places to live that don't cost an arm and a leg. 
just a thought, just a thought, you know. But of course, this is meant to appeal to suburban NIMBYs who don't want certain people in their neighborhoods. Yes, that's a dog whistle. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's kind of it's it's kind of gross how Trump likes to put it, and especially when he tries to invoke like suburban women who want to feel safe. Like, all right, dude, what are you trying to say here? Like, what what are you really trying to say here? But of course, we had that argument. And then we had the stupid, 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 stupid mask argument where <laughs> Donald Trump had a mask like in his inside breast pocket as like a prop to pull out to show everybody that he has the mask. <laughs> I was just like, Jesus Christ. And he's going on about, I wear the mask when I think I need to wear the mask and then I don't. But then this guy, Joe Biden, you see him out in public all the time. He's got the biggest mask on you've ever seen. And it's like, okay. Both of y'all, both Trump and Biden, are in the high-risk group. You're both elderly. You're both old. You're supposed to be wearing the mask when you're outside. As far as the, the whole knock about Joe Biden, like, staying in his basement, yeah, he's old. He's supposed to be staying in his basement. That's what the old people are supposed to be doing right now, is not going out in public so that they don't catch COVID and die because they are in the bracket of people most likely to die of COVID. That's what they're supposed to be doing. This is what old people are supposed to do. Why? Why? Why is this such a thing? But of course, the mask war has become just this absolutely tribal, stupid nonsense where everybody just tries to dunk on everybody. Like, if you want to wear the mask, like, let Joe Biden wear his big ass mask. He should be. He's freaking old. You're both old. Trump needs to stay the fuck home, too. You're old and you have comorbidities. You're, you're, you are the people that are supposed to be locked down, not the rest of us. Anywho, like I said, this whole thing is just like, it's a disaster. It's an absolute stupid fucking disaster. There's like nothing else to say about this debate. But Hunter Biden came up, obviously, because for some reason, people still think this is a dunk. I mean, I think we've already been through this enough. But bringing up Hunter Biden and how well he, he Trump kind of made up this interesting story about how Hunter Biden was getting $2.3 million from some Chinese person. And it was just like, no, that's not, no, <laughs> that didn't happen, which it didn't. And then, of course, we tried to bring up Burisma. And I'm like, oh, my God, we've been through this already. I don't feel like we need to discuss it again. But at one point, like, Trump was kind of confusing Hunter and Bo Biden. Like, Hunter Biden is the one with the, the barisma and the drug issue. And Bo Biden is the one who served in the military and died of cancer. <laughs> and so the, it, he was kind of getting them mixed up a little bit. And I'm just like, whoa, wait, no, th those are two separate people. Don't don't mix up Hunter and Bo. The, the funniest part of the debate to me, though, and this is the funniest part of the knock against Biden from Trump and the GOP, is this idea that he's somehow like, not a law and order kind of guy. Trump tried to make this argument about Biden not being a law and order kind of guy after slamming him over the 94 crime bill. I'm like, wait a minute. No, 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 no. It's either A or B. You can't say that somebody isn't for law and order and then say that they did too much law and order. I, I, like, it, it's this weird thing of how Trump is trying to portray Biden. He's like this Biden is like all things to Trump. Like you can, you can be even these things that are like contradictions like this. Like you can't say 
that Joe Biden isn't for law and order when his whole career, I mean, that that's one of the biggest problems that libertarians have with Joe Biden is his pro-carceral stance. And even Biden pointed out that he supports more federal funding for police and that Trump, by doing this little game that he's playing with, taking away federal funding from cities that don't do the things that he wants to do in our anarchist jurisdictions, which is hilarious, that through doing that, he's actually defunding the police. So Joe Biden is more pro-police than Donald Trump. <laughs> it's just, it's just so ridiculous. Like, I don't, I, I really still think that the Trump campaign wanted to run against Bernie Sanders. And so they're going to run against Bernie Sanders no matter who the guy is at the other podium, it's going to somehow be Bernie Sanders. And Trump made the argument several times that Biden is just going to be beholden to the radical left and that somehow they've taken over the party and that he's some kind of puppet. And I'm like, the whole fact that Democratic primary voters went for Biden instead of Bernie Sanders when Bernie Sanders was right there, like they could have very easily just voted for Bernie Sanders. They could have voted for the far left. They could have voted for democratic socialism. They chose the old ass centrist. And, and there you go. That's it. That the primary voters spoke. They have rejected it. What anybody like five people in Congress want is irrelevant. Because the voters already decided. They rejected the candidate that represented the far left in favor of Biden. So it's just like I don't oh. So much, so much about this is stupid and pointless, but this is, this is our political climate and stupid and pointless might be the best way to sum it up. But one conversation that I wish had been handled in a more serious fashion, which none of these were, like none of this, Biden was trying to take things seriously. He was really trying. He was really, really trying to make his very serious, earnest points but when you're being talked over by somebody who's basically just trying to troll you and basically saying that nobody should use the word smart when it comes to you and saying, oh, you're number two. Like, did, did the president just make a shit joke? Really? Really? But this is what you're dealing with. And you're trying to when you're up there, and you're trying to make like your your very important points because you understand that you're in a presidential debate and that you need to like, you know, act like a, a grown up and make your grown up points. But the other person just is not having it. You do what you can. So, I mean, Joe Biden did what he could. But the conversation of climate change came up and the Green New Deal. And of course, whenever this comes up, everybody wants to demagogue it. It's like all of a sudden people on the right want to bring up like cow farts and this, this, the stupid shit, like the dumb shit. And then nobody on the left wants to really have a substantial conversation about the logistics of transitioning our our energy from fossil fuels to renewables. I wish that there could be an actual serious conversation about this because this is an actual serious issue. And even if you don't believe in climate change or man-made climate change, let me give you a couple of reasons why this conversation should be happening. First off, we are working with outdated tech. Like our energy system is outdated. Like we're still using fossil fuels. Like this is ridiculous. We have renewables. We have better technology. And the United States is supposed to be the innovator. We're supposed to be the ones on the bleeding edge of all of this. And we're still using this ridiculous outdated tech. No, we need to do something about that. 
The second reason would be energy independence. If America wants to become an energy independent country, we need to get away from fossil fuels and start moving towards renewables that we can make here in this country. That way we're not reliant on oil from the Middle East. We're not reliant on coal from China. We can make our own energy and then we can start breaking away from being dependent on other countries for the raw materials we need for the energy that we create in this country. Like it's this, this is beyond time to have this conversation. And it annoys me every election cycle when politicians, when presidential candidates pander to the employees in these industries that are dying. I mean, it's it's sad. Sure. Okay. But these industries are dying and telling these people like, oh, I'm going to bring your jobs back. I'm going to preserve your jobs. And it's like, no, you're first of all, you're not. And second of all, telling people that you're going to do that is just preventing them from like moving on and finding other employment. Like if you keep telling coal miners that you're going to get their jobs back, then they're going to sit there and wait for you to get their job back. They're not going to be like, okay, my job is obsolete. I need to figure out something else to do with my life. I mean, just be honest with people and let them know like we're moving on as a country and creative destruction hurts sometimes. It does. Like it's there's always going to be somebody who gets hurt by this, but that's not a reason to stop progress. Like that's absurd. We we need to do something about energy in this country. I mean, this is a first world country and we have states with fucking rolling blackouts. Like Okay, guys, we really need to have a conversation here about what the hell is going on. We need to start transitioning to renewables. We need to get off of fossil fuels. And like I said, even for reasons that have nothing to do with climate change. Like that's that's a reason you can pick. But I just gave you two other reasons that have nothing to do with climate change, but are absolutely wonderful reasons that we need to have this conversation. And if that's how the GOP or conservatives want to present this to their constituents, I think that's fine. I mean, there's, like I said, there's plenty of reasons to care about this other than climate change. So I wish, I wish we could have that conversation. I wish either side was serious about actually like having this discussion. And it reminded me of when Elizabeth Warren was putting forth her energy plan and it went so far as to not only not support nuclear, but to decommission nuclear plants. I'm like, I'm sorry, no. If you're not, if you're not serious about looking at nuclear, then I can't take your your climate change bill seriously. Like that's ridiculous. Like here it is, there it is. The one thing that could actually seriously get us off of fossil fuels and onto a renewable, and you want to dismiss it out of hand? Like that just, it's oh my, I, I can't. I really can't. Like, it makes me wonder, like, how seriously are you actually taking this issue if you want to take nuclear off the table? Anyway, that's another rant for another time. And I'm pretty sure I've already done it before, probably at some point during the Democratic primary episodes, <laughs> because I, that just kept coming up. And I was just like, I, I can't. I'm, I'm sorry. No, if you're taking off the the best renewable that we have on the market right now in favor of I don't know what. I'm no, I'm sorry, I can't. So moving on to the big takeaway moment that everybody has gone with on this debate. And that is when Chris Wallace asked Donald Trump to condemn white supremacist violence. So asked the question, 
Donald Trump basically hemmed and hawed his way. It's like, I, I, I mean, yeah, but it's, uh, all, all the violence I see is coming from the left wing. It's all left wing violence, which is actually factually not correct. But so he, he, he kind of paints himself in the corner like what, he doesn't want to say it. Like, it's clear he doesn't want to say it, which first and foremost, how fucking hard is it to just say I condemn white supremacist violence? I don't care. If you think it's minuscule, I don't care if you think it's only a couple of people. I don't care if you don't, if, if you think the whole thing's stupid. You're the president of the United States. You're in a presidential debate. You're being asked a fairly simple question. Why is this hard? J- just say, I condemn white supremacist violence. I mean, Joe Biden had no problem saying, I condemn violence. I condemn rioting. I condemn looting. He did it again during the debate. He's done it several times. Like, I, I, I don't. I don't get it, but so at, at this point, basically Chris Wallace and Joe Biden are chiming in on him. It's like, well, if you say it, then like if you if you think it, say it. And Joe Biden kind of threw out the Proud Boys, and so Trump. Well, well, he let, let me try to back this up. So Trump basically backs himself in his course, like, okay, who who do you want me to condemn? Give me give me a name. Tell me who you want me to condemn. And Joe Biden's like kind of offhandedly said, "Proud Boys." And so Trump said, "Okay, Proud Boys, stand back, but stand by." Jesus fucking Christ! How hard is it to not give that answer? So obviously, everybody kind of lost their shit. Proud Boys. I almost have to respect the hustle here because these dudes had merch out within hours around this quote. Like I, I can't knock that kind of hustle. Like they were on it. They had, they, they had the t-shirts ready for purchase, but everybody kind of ran with that. And especially the proud boys, because they took that as saying, as Trump telling them that it is okay for them to go beat people up in the street. Like they, they took that as like a sign that the president is kind of like deputizing us because he said there's a, you know, stand back, but stand by. Dude, no, that is like literally the worst thing you could have said. Anyway, the next day, the next day he comes out and says, you know what? I don't know who the Proud Boys are, but I, I condemn violence. I, I don't, I don't like, I don't, nobody, they, be, they should back up and let law enforcement do their job. Oh. <sighs> Well, first of all, poor Proud Boys. They thought the president knew who they were. He does, by the way. He totally knows who the Proud Boys are. But, like, what? It's one of those things. Trump Trump cannot speak extemporaneously. For all of the bitching about Joe Biden needing an earpiece and a microphone, which he didn't, despite people trying to make up a controversy online that he did. It was a crease in his shirt and the rosary around his wrist for his dead son. When you put Trump in situations, he cannot, like, make words go good. <laughs> he's just He just spits shit out. And this is one of those where he just spat some shit out. I mean, like I said, I totally, he totally knows who the Proud Boys are. But he can't just speak under pressure and not say something stupid. It's amazing. <laughs> but that was kind of the big takeaway. And so everybody went with, oh my God, Trump is refusing to condemn white supremacist violence, which he kind of did refuse to condemn it in the debate. But yeah, it's just one of those 
one of those examples of Trump really not being as good a speaker as people like to think he is. And by not being as good a speaker as people think he is, he started a whole damn shitstorm. And it's still going. And it will continue to keep going. Oh my God. Okay, so debate over, done. By this time, I don't think anybody on the internet is sober. Everybody's drunk or high, myself included. But notable for what wasn't mentioned, there was not a single mention of immigration or foreign policy. To be fair, those were not questions that were brought up. That being said, both Trump and Biden felt free to just answer whatever the hell question they wanted to answer. So they certainly could have brought it up if they wanted to. But yeah, not no mention of either one of those two, and especially immigration, which was kind of the bedrock of Trump's 2016 campaign. That it was not mentioned at all is rather interesting. And of course, foreign policy is not I, 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 nobody cares about foreign policy anymore, apparently. That's what I've gathered. Not just from this debate, but just in general about just how nobody really seems to want to discuss or care about foreign policy anymore, which makes me sad. But some notable highlights of the debate. Oh my God, I laugh because I mean, what else are you going to do? At what point Joe Biden told Trump to shut up um, he also called him a clown and a racist, which who among us has not wanted to call Trump a clown and who has not wanted to tell Trump to shut up? But it just it was just such a fucking disaster. And of course, there was no substantial policy discussions because, of course, there were no substantial policy discussions. What are you talking about, libertarian? Nobody talks about policy anymore. Oh, one day. One day people will care about policy again. I know it. But what surprised me kind of about this was the ratings that finally came out. And let me go grab it real quick because it's it's good, but it's bad. The good news for Trump is that this presidential debate was actually the second most watched. No, excuse me, the third most watched debate in television history of as far back as we were actually watching debates on television. It clocked in at 73.1 million people. The top number one presidential debate ever was 2016 Trump-Clinton, the first round, which was actually, no, all these numbers are for the first presidential debate. I take that back. That one was at 84 million people. So, on the bright side, you can say that 73.1 million people tuned into this debate and that it was the second most watched first round in history. The other way of looking at this is that that is a little over 10 million people less than watched the first round in 2016. I really expected the numbers for this debate to at least match the first round of 2016, if not exceed them, because this situation is the most important election ever, except for the last one and the one before that and the one before that and the one before that. Anyway, this has been kind of hyped so much and maybe maybe people are just not as interested because it's not Hillary Clinton. Joe Biden is not all that particularly exciting a human being. I mean, he's not... I, I mean, I think maybe people were a little more hyped for 2016. I think also... 
part of this is that it's not 2016 anymore. It's 2020. And what was funny and amusing back in 2016 at this point is just like old and stale. And Trump is a lot like like a comedian where he found this one bit and it killed at one point. But now it's like four years later and he's still trying to do the same bit and everyone's just rolling their eyes and like, okay, dude, like this is stupid. This is worn thin. We're, we're tired of it. And not, not, not super helpful that on top of all that, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're in the middle of an economic crisis. We're in the middle of an unemployment crisis and people are tuning into this and they're looking at the president acting like a total fucking jackass on television. And they're like, dude, come on, man. I mean, I even heard from like normie people, not online people, who are Trump supporters who were disappointed in his performance and thought it was childish and juvenile. And I'm just like, it's, I, I think people are just over it. Like, it's not funny anymore. Like, it, it, even under like good times, it probably wouldn't be funny, but we're not in good times right now. We're in really bad times. And it would be nice to see the president of the United States act like he's taking any of this seriously. And it really had that feeling like like none of this is serious to him. Like this is all a big joke. And to a lot of people in this country, this isn't a joke. Like there are record amounts of people out of work. There are people dying. Like this is serious shit. Like this isn't funny anymore. And I think that is possibly possibly why the numbers are just not what I was expecting them to be is that people just aren't interested in watching Trump anymore. And I'm also, I'm I'm curious, I don't know the metrics of how and when they measure these numbers. I imagine a lot of people started watching the debate and turned it off because it was just, it was ridiculous. Like I cannot overemphasize how absolutely juvenile and ridiculous this was. Like I cannot believe that was a presidential debate. Like, I'm just, I'm still kind of in shock. Like I said at the top, like, I didn't expect a lot out of this. I really didn't. Like, I know. And it's Trump. Like, I know. I know what I'm going to get. There's a whole reason why I try to avoid watching this man whenever possible, because I already know what it's going to be. But I thought, like, okay, it's a presidential debate. He's the president of the United States. Presumably, he would like to be reelected. That is not exactly a sure thing right now. Maybe he might have one of those brief moments of like lucidity and seriousness where he demonstrates that he actually knows and gives a shit about what's going on in this country and, you know, acts somewhat close to presidential for once, but it went in the complete opposite direction. And there's a funny anecdote that I saw on Twitter about Chris Wallace, because this was happening in Cleveland, that somebody saw him at the Cleveland airport, just like drinking a glass of champagne and looking completely dejected. Like this poor man, I feel bad for Chris Wallace. People have tried to slam his performance, but I'm just like, what did you want the man to do? He did everything he could do to try to keep this debate on track, short of like actually taking Donald Trump's mic away from him, which by the way, I think moderators should have the right to do that. And there are changes in the works of the Commission for Presidential Debates has said that because of the the performance of the first night, they are going to be making substantial changes to the format going forward for the next two presidential debates. I don't know if that's going to apply to the VP debate next week. But yeah, that's how bad this was. It's so bad 
that that the commission is like, we have to revamp this. That's nuts. Like, this is serious business. Like, this is people running for the president of the United States. Like, can, I, I'm, I'm still, like, blown away. And it's, I know we had this conversation back in, like, 2015 about whether Trump really wanted to be president or if this was some kind of publicity stunt. And that conversation has come up a uh, come up again in relationship to his tax returns that just came out um, a little beyond the scope of this episode, but that will be part of the Substack newsletter and obviously the weekly roundup. But this really just felt like he's trying to throw the election almost like, like he's not taking this seriously. Like, I don't, I don't know. That was nuts. <laughs> it was absolutely nuts. That was some weird shit. And apparently Trump's handlers want to somehow change his behavior for the next debate. And I'm just like, good luck. This is the dude you've been waiting for his behavior to change for almost four years now. Like it ain't happening. This is the dude you're stuck with. And it was just like, oh my Lord, this is going to be a mess. Um, I've seen people speculate that they will cancel the other two debates. Nope. I, I highly doubt that. And it's not like either man's going to refuse to show up. So yeah, we're still going to have two more of these. Do not get your hopes up, people. 2020 would not be that kind to us. So yeah, at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. Um, Obviously, I will watch the VP debates and I'll also watch the other two presidential debates that will be happening. Um, I will figure out times to record for those because I believe... Uh, did, did, did. I know the two presidential debates are on Thursdays. I want to say next week, the vice presidential debate is on a Wednesday. So I can do my usual recording times. But the other two, I will find time to do it. Because like I said, uh, for the sake of completeness and posterity, and for this to be a little time capsule... <laughs> I will go ahead and finish this project. So if you did make it this far, thank you for listening as always. And if you do like this, please rate, comment, and subscribe. You can find me on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and on my Patreon page. And also go subscribe to my Substack. It's jenmonroe.substack.com where you will be able to find more content from me. So take care and until next time.